Amen. Friends, would you please stand as we would read the word of the Lord at this time, taken this morning from Colossians chapter 3, reading verses 22 through, um, actually I'm reading verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Again, let us listen to the Lord's word. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequence of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? Again, O Lord, we thank you for your word and pray that your blessing will be upon it now as your servant opens it. I pray that you would make me clear and plain. And We ask that by your spirit you will work in the hearts of these, your people, both near and far. We pray that your kingdom will be advanced that our habits and our attitudes towards work would be changed. And we ask that as your kingdom goes forward, we pray that the kingdom of Satan will suffer great injury. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, our King. Amen. I remember my son one day, and really all things considered, my children gave me very few fainting fits uh, growing up. But I remember one day my son... He was 15, and he was just, the world is, is on fire, and he wants to rescue the world. He's, he's got his backpack on, he's a skinny bean pole, and he's just saying, I want to go, it's time for me to go. And he's got his backpack, and he's planning on walking out towards Jeffrey City or someplace, and he's going to go take on the world. And I, I grabbed him, and I said, Andrew, I know you want to do this right now. It's not time. It's not time. You put your backpack back, and we're going to, you know, and, and what I recognize is that this is a young man who's saying, what am I doing with my life? I'm 15 years old, and, and here I am still going to school, and all I have is this crummy backpack. <laughs> you know, he's got, he's, it was just wonderful. It was so sweet, and he's crying, and he's so upset. He wants to do something significant in the world. I felt the same way. You want, to, you want to do something that you feel like is going to impact the world around you. Um, and so we get in our minds that we are stuck in these dead-end jobs. We're stuck in these dead-end positions. My heart really goes out to mothers, my, my young daughters, and um, to mothers across. And we're preaching on this tonight about the importance of motherhood. Um, but we get, we get these things in our minds, and we think... Others have it so much more better and that their lives are so much more effective, uh, more impactful for the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. And here I am stuck, just stuck. And so you may feel this way 
at times. You may feel like this as a student. I'm just stuck. What am I doing here? Learning how to conjugate verbs. Like this is important or learning to use algebra. I'm still waiting for someone, by the way, to tell me the importance of algebra. I still haven't found that one yet. Um, but you may be thinking these sorts of things. And so uh, we end up desiring something that where we aren't. We end up desiring you know, to, to change my life, the grass is greener, that sort of thing. We're looking at work today. We're looking at vocation. We're looking at jobs. And, and work is a good thing. It was really a bad thing when our government said, stay home, don't work. You know, everything that they told, everything they're telling us is catawampus to the word of God. It's crosswise, really, it is. Yeah, you don't need to be married. You don't need to have children. You don't need to work. Sit and watch television. We'll send you food. You can even get an app on your phone where we can track you and you can track your groceries. Right? Everything that the scriptures calls good, our government, I'm sorry, our government is undermining the very things of God. And it's stripping people, Christians and or not Christians, is stripping them of a, a very fundamental dignity, an image-bearing type of mindset. Work is a good thing. Work is a very good thing. It was created in the garden, obviously, before the fall. We call it a creation mandate. What does the Lord say? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Later in chapter 2 of Genesis, he tells Adam to cultivate and keep the garden. Cultivate it, keep it, subdue it, fill the earth. These are the things the Lord has said before there was sin in the world. This is God's original design. Work is part of God's original design. It is not the result of the curse. But the curse brought weeds into the garden. The curse meant that we were going to have problems. Our tractors are going to break down. Our, our windrowers aren't going to work right. We're going to get rain and it's going to cause my hay to mold before I can get it up. Did I say that right? Is that a thing, sort of? Right, we're going to have problems. We're going to have problems in, in the things that we do. Women are going to have great pain in delivering children. So the Lord does, he, he, he sets these things in, in motion. They're good, and yet the fall, the curse, and all of these things have come about. And slavery, I would consider to be one of those weeds in, in light of dominion. So I need to take dominion. I need to subdue the earth. But I can't do it alone. And so... There's a nation next to my nation. I think I'll go conquer it. And I think I'll make them slaves. And they will help me advance my goals of dominion. We see how sin corrupts and it distorts and it perverts all sorts of things. And so the apostle, uh, as he has done regarding wives and husbands and children, so now he addresses slaves and their masters and how they ought to fulfill their callings in light of the gospel. He's addressing slaves and masters. My struggle is, is we don't have slaves now 
And we don't have masters, or do we? Sort of? We do. It's applicable. It's applicable. I want you to recall, friends, that the apostle, again, I preach expositorily and I go verse by verse. We're, We're towards the end of the book of Colossians and we have covered the indicative. And so all of these things that we're talking about, as I reminded you several weeks back, all of these things that we're talking about are not an addition to the gospel. They're the result of the gospel. So if Jesus Christ has changed you, Now you have a new heart, you have a new spirit indwelling you, you have a new ethic that is at play, or you should have, if you are the Lord's. And so we see this this sort of thing. So the apostle has already established the fact that it is not what we do for the Lord that secures our salvation, but that the Lord himself has accomplished um, on our behalf that um, all that we need, he has accomplished it. And he does not want us to be crushed under slavish fear. Again, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, in Colossians 2, 8 through 12, we read this, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We are new creatures in Christ. The message of the false teachers was not good news. However, the message of the Apostle Paul is good news because it is the gospel. And again, it results in new hearts, new attitudes and behaviors. Here, Here, then we see a new approach to calling, to our vocations, how we ought to be thinking of our jobs, our callings, now in a fallen and cursed world. Knowing, friends, that it is in our day-to-day relationships, be they husband or wife, child with parent, in our work relationships, that this is where our witness is seen most plainly. So while my son is saying, I want to really do something great in the world, I want to do something very impactful, rather than working on grammar at school, you say to your son, but son, working on grammar in school is actually a very God-honoring place to be right now, and that's where you are supposed to impact the world for the glory of Christ conjugating verbs I'm sorry to say I was one of those high school students and I if you've ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite I'm afraid I was a bit like a Napoleon Dynamite I wasn't going to actually tell you this but I'm going to tell you it now I used to come into school and I'd sit and look at the clock and it says 735 only seven more hours and that's the way I approach school Because I had this wonky thought in my head that all that really mattered was church stuff. And that school stuff was secular, and so it doesn't matter what I do there. But actually, 
It doesn't matter. As John Burberry has pointed out, don't end your sentences with prepositions. Get those pronouns right. It does matter. These things are, it's, it's our father's world. And so we don't separate things and say, well, this is important and this isn't, isn't important. We look at the ordinary things. And I want to encourage you, the ordinary things are how God works in our world and how we impact the world around us. It's not only as good as Bible studies and, and coming to prayer meeting, and it, by all means, come to prayer meeting, but that's not the only time we impact the world. You realize you impact the world when you go to the grocery store. Whether or not you will leave a tip for the waitress at the, the restaurant, these things also impact. And so it's fascinating that here the apostle, as he's talking about wives and husbands and children, he now addresses slaves. He addresses slaves. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. He's addressing their work. He's addressing slaves. In all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Slavery was not an institution ordained by God. It is not in the category of marriage or work or human government or even the Sabbath. Yet, in God's wise providence, well beyond our comprehension, it is a reality in the world. It was a reality in the world then. It is still a reality in our world, though perhaps not in our country specifically. But it is a reality in this world. And so these are things we don't and can't quite understand. William Hendrickson said this, The Roman world was full of slaves. It has been estimated that in Rome itself at one time about a third of the inhabitants belonged to the social class of slaves. They had become slaves as prisoners of war or as convicts or through a debt, kidnapping, purchase, or birth from slave parents. So while it is not condoned, it is acknowledged as being a real issue in the church as the gospel had permeating and it was permeating the world and it was infiltrating homes and in the homes of the people of the church in Colossae, they had slaves and there were masters. Again, not condoned by God or not established by God and yet acknowledged that it is in the world. It is a weed. So how do we live in a world where we have things that don't quite set well with us? There is no undoing or throwing off of the creation mandates. For instance, when God established marriage, marriage must continue. Where God has established taking dominion, we continue to take dominion. But in regard to slavery, we read this in 1 Corinthians 7.21. The apostle would state, Were you called while a slave, do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. So it's acknowledged that it's a thing in the world, but is it a thing we should aspire to stay under? The answer would be no. No. We shouldn't say, well, it's a good thing. Maybe if you're a master, but it's not the kind of thing anyone in their right mind should say, yeah, I'd rather like being under the control of someone else. Being a slave was not ideal. The slave had no, and I'm quoting here a scholar, the slave had no legal rights and was subject to the absolute power of his master. Now you might get a good master, and that would be a good thing. And you wouldn't have to give up being a slave. 
But at the same time, you might not get a good master. You might get a, have a good master originally, and he dies, and you fall into someone else's hands as a piece of property, and now you're under a tyrant, and you're suffering. And yet slavery was, again, as I said, a real circumstance in the lives of many of the Christians. Onesimus, who we read about uh, this morning, Paul wrote a letter concerning him in the letter of Philemon. My friends, it was a part of the Christian life that many of them would have to deal, though it may have been an unpleasant existence. Here, Paul is addressing people who are living with unpleasant circumstances in their life. Don't, do you like your job? You hate your job? Guess what? You're in good company. There were people who definitely struggled. And yet, yet, he does not exempt them from living out their faith, but even addresses them far more than he would their masters. And some scholars believe that this is because there was such a significant number of slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. In fact, there was a proposal in the Roman Senate that, that all slaves should have to wear the same outfits, and it was voted down. You know why? Because they didn't want the slaves to know just how many slaves there were. Because once they could identify each other, they could unite and have an uprising. A significant number of slaves in the Roman Empire. Again, we don't have slavery like this today in our country. We don't have slavery such as we had before uh, the Civil War. So you may be thinking that this passage doesn't have much to teach you today, but I would argue that it does. If this was written to direct slaves, how their faith was to influence their service, slaves who largely had no choice in how they were to live their lives, how much more applicable are these words than to us who voluntarily enter into work arrangements as employees serving under agreed-upon terms? It's a difficult situation. I understand. You're slaves. You have masters. But here's what the Lord says. Here's how the gospel should impact how you do your work. You think, I'm a slave. I can't do anything in this world. And Paul is saying, baloney, this is how we demonstrate our faith in adverse circumstances. This is how we are supposed to carry ourselves. And so you, as an employee, at least you have an option to potentially get out of your job and find another job. A slave would not have had that option. But if you can find a better job, then do it. But I will tell you this, that most of us don't get the jobs that we choose. We get the jobs that are handed to us. My grandfather went, on my mother's side, moved to Los Angeles back in the 1920s to sing jingles on the radio. And they told him, you have a lovely voice, except it's not the kind we're looking for. He ended up working in the county courthouse, I think, the rest of his life, shuffling papers, looking after titles and deeds. And he did it faithfully all those years, took care of my mother and aunt and my grandmother and he died a ripe old age of mankind and walking with the Lord we're not always able to choose the jobs we like and yet we're given the jobs we're given some of you are bosses some of you are employees if you can become a boss do so if you can't that is okay the point here is this bear fruit in the place where the Lord has planted you let me say that again 
bear fruit in the place where the Lord has planted you. How do you do that? What is the fruit? Listen to what Paul says. In all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. When you go to work tomorrow, you are to obey your boss, the man or the woman who is your superior in the workplace, who is your master according to the flesh in the sphere of your employment. You are to obey them in all things. This is how we bear fruit in employment. We obey them, our bosses, in all things. As we said earlier when looking at children, this is not an absolute statement in the sense that they tell you to sin and you say, okay, I'm going to go sin for you today, boss. That's not what he's saying. All right? We would not obey an order or a command that would go against God. We see this in Acts 5.29. You tell us, said the apostles, should we obey God or should we obey men? The obvious answer is we obey God. Shifra and Pua, where the, the Israelite midwives were commanded to kill the little boy, the little Jewish boys, they said, nope, we're not doing it. They disobeyed the king. God blessed them because they feared the Lord. And so they disobeyed the king's orders. To obey, however, would mean that not only in matters pleasant and agreeable, but also in matters unpleasant and disagreeable. So in other words, we obey when we like to or when we don't like to, we obey. To obey means we do what they say. I don't know if that needs to be expounded upon at all, but when Jesus commanded the wind and the waves and he said, stop, they stopped. That's the kind of obedience that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. What does it say about you, my friends? And more importantly, what does it say about the Lord you serve when you won't take direction and you won't take orders? I realize that's the American way. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Easy. That may be the American way, but that's not God's way. Listen to Titus 2, 9 and 10. Paul writes to Titus saying, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. And you are to render this obedience not with external service as those who merely please men. You can imagine a slave who feels stuck in his position. Maybe he's one of these slaves who has to go work in a mine somewhere and he hates it. And so he's leaning on his shovel. Boss man's not around. I'm taking a break. I don't know about you guys. I'm done. Boss is coming. Boss is coming. Quick. You guys get back to work. What are you doing? You know. And he's, it's all eye service. He's, he's playing a game. And when in actuality, he's a slacker. He's just, he's just working in order to be seen, but he doesn't have the integrity that when the boss isn't around, he's going to continue to work. Paul says, no, when, when you work, when, you, when your boss gives you a job to do, you're supposed to do it whether he's watching you or not. You're doing your job. How many people, how many people in the American workforce go to work in the morning, go to work through this week, and rather than doing their work, they're playing candy crush on their phone 
or they're examining Facebook, or they're looking at Twitter accounts, or they're texting, they're messing around on their electronics, and they're not actually doing their work. That's not what the Lord calls us to. You want to honor the Lord in the workplace? When nobody else is looking at you, do what your boss has told you to do. Do what your boss has told you to do. And he says to them, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This is how they're supposed to do it. Rather than doing what, uh, do, rather do what you are told with all your heart. Throw yourself into it, and don't be one of these half-hearted employees who is a little better than a day-old grilled cheese sandwich. You do it because your Lord, your Master, who is in heaven, sees you. That's why we do it, and this is what they were to do. We went, we stopped a few weeks back at a subway station down in Laramie. And I'm rarely impressed with anyone um, when it comes to the work ethics that I see. And we went into this restaurant and it was clean. The lady made great eye contact. She asked me, you want a 6-inch or a 12-inch? And I say, I'll take a 6-inch. What do you want on it? And I'll say, I'll get the number 7. I don't remember what it was. It was a turkey and bacon or something like this, avocado. Who cares? That's not the point. The point is, this woman got the bread, cut the bread. She laid the meat out. It was like she was a sandwich artisan. It was impressive. She made good eye contact. She spoke. She was articulate. She was energetic. She made a beautiful sandwich look just like the board behind her. Rung us up, got us out. We sat down. No more customers. She comes out from behind the counter. She's wiping down tables. She's sweeping up junk. It was the best managed restaurant I have ever, ever seen. And here was an employee. If I had been that undercover boss, I would have promoted her to overseeing a chain of restaurants. She was that good. That's the way we ought to be. That's the way we ought to be in our jobs. Um, so what is it then that, that gives us that motive? It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, says Paul. He is our motive. He is our reason to work. He should be our reason to work. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. He says, whatever you do. Slaves covered a gamut of activities. They were there, there were slaves who were in the privileged imperial uh, class um, to slaves who were convicts sentenced to mines. There were slaves of the state, of townships, of the emperor. There were temple slaves who took care of the sacred precincts. There were agricultural slaves. There were domestic slaves who took care of household affairs and cared for children. There were slaves who were teachers, slaves who were doctors. There were industrial slaves who were skilled craftsmen. There were all sorts of slaves. Whatever you do, he says, whatever you do, wherever the Lord has you, friends, wherever, uh, whatever he has you doing, and there are some callings, some jobs more pleasant than others, and there are some aspects of every job that are less appealing than other aspects, he says, whatever you do. And whatever you do, you have to muck the stalls. Have fun with it. Get in there with vigor. Throw your back into it. 
scrape those stalls and whistle while you work. Do it with all your heart. That's what he says here. Do it heartily. That is, do it from the soul. Put your heart into it. Put your back into it, whatever it is. Slavery could be a terrible drag, depending on what it was that you had to do. Um, They should not do it limply or without vigor. So if you're flipping burgers, if you're bagging groceries, if you're straightening clothing um, on a rack, if you're gathering cattle, if you're doctoring cats, if you're making sales, if you're having to climb under a house, if you have to patrol the town, if you have to write code or fix a thermostat, if you have to deal with sick people, whatever you do, you do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Do you know how, um, what an impact that makes? It makes a huge impact. I was a college graduate. I had a four-year degree under my belt. I couldn't find a job except as a bag boy in a grocery store in San Diego. But I was the best bag boy. I'd often wondered if, often wondered or hoped that they would have like a bag boy contest, like a national award or something. I thought, I'm going to clean up against those 17-year-olds. Honestly, I, I, I enjoyed it so much. People would come through and I would say, paper or plastic? And they would say, why plastic? Thank you. And I'd bag those groceries and I'd take them out there. I'd gather up carts. I had a phenomenal time doing this. And I had one lady came up to me one day and says, she got off the senior bus. They brought a, a, a bus of, of senior citizens. It was shopping day. And she says, you're an awfully nice young man. What are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, I hope to be a pastor. Oh, why would you want to ruin your life doing that? That's what she said to me. I was a good bag boy. I had a degree. But I needed to pay for groceries and I needed to pay for electricity. And so I did what the, I didn't start applying there. It's just where I ended up. In God's providence is how we paid for our first baby. I was also probably the only bag boy who ever used the maternity insurance that I was required to have in God's providence. But you see, this is, this is the thing. We, we think it's beyond me. It's below me. It's not. No. No. Wherever the Lord places you, you bear fruit. You're serving the Lord. You do it with your heart. You throw your back into it. You give energy, vigor to it because you represent the Lord. And in our world, where everyone stands around complaining about how bad the boss is, how bad the conditions are, there's one guy, there's one girl who says, I'm just happy to have a job and I'm going to do it well. If you've gone through the, the, the grocery store, I want to say to them, where did you park your casket? Maybe you need to go climb back into it. Seriously, I think sometimes they're zombies. If I was their boss, I would be saying to them, wake up. Engage the customer. Talk to them. Be polite. Be competent. Know your codes. Come on. This is what should be happening. Do you know what that is? If you worked with a mechanic before who was honest, who was happy to work with you, I love that. I can't stand the mechanics who say, nothing. you you got to engage. 
Work is a good thing. It's a blessing. Our brother Levon, probably the most competent plumber you will ever see, and also the most artistic. His work is absolutely beautiful. Not to put you, but you're an ideal, it's a perfect example of how someone goes about work. I've watched Levon do this for years. And he does it well. And that's the way every Christian should be. Because God has got you there for a purpose that you might make witness, to, to, to bear witness of who he is in an environment where everyone else is complaining. We know this, friends, this, that as we serve the Lord, we know that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The slave would often have harsh masters. You know, the kind that say the beatings will continue until morale improves. Some employers are like this. It is difficult to feel enthusiastic and to put your heart into your work when it is a a bad work environment. So we don't look at them, rather we look above them, knowing this, it is a fact, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. My friends, the Lord sees what you're going through. He sees all of these things, don't you think? So do it as unto the Lord. Those who do their work for the Lord while serving their earthly masters will be rewarded with the Lord's inheritance an inheritance which Peter said is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. We serve the Lord, and by serving the Lord in this way, we demonstrate that we are the Lord's. And as we are the Lord's people, the Lord will bless. He will reward us with the inheritance of eternal life um, with our Lord until that final day. He sees what we do, he sees what we go through, and what we put up with, and he will reward us, as it is the Lord Christ whom we serve. He will reward us. But then Paul gives this reminder, and this is a reminder for all of us, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. There is debate over this verse. Some would say that it is addressed to slaves. Some would say that it is addressed to masters, um, whom Paul will address. And others say that it is addressed to both slaves and masters alike. And, and you could see it very plainly that it would apply to both slaves and masters alike because it's a warning. It's a cautionary note not to disregard what the apostle has instructed here. Friends, do not disregard what the Lord instructs as to work. Do not disregard it. We find a similar sentiment in Ephesians chapter 6. If you would just turn over there with me. Ephesians 6, 8 and following. Reread this. Or 5 five through 9. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. We are not to think well, I'm saved by grace, so I can disregard my employer. 
Friends, do not make that hard distinction between your sacred and secular life. All life under our Father in heaven is sacred. It is sacred. Your job moving cattle is just as important as my job preaching sermons. Now, we're different, right? We're different. But they're both sacred callings because the Lord has called us to these things. So we go at it as an act of worship to our God. Whether slave or free, an employee or an employer, he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. Our God is no respecter of people. So friends, understand, he doesn't care if you're rich. He doesn't care if you're poor. He doesn't care if you're an important person in the world or if you're a low-class person in this world. God will judge faithfully and fairly. Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in judgment, You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So then, friends, whether a slave or free, we are to carry ourselves in godly fear, rendering obedience to whom obedience is due, and that in the manner in which here the Lord has directed. That's what an employee is supposed to do. And we will answer to the Lord, but we will also receive the blessing of reward from the Lord when we serve him. And finally, and I mean finally, not like Stephen Lawson used finally the other day. (laughs) Paul makes a brief and poignant statement to those who are masters, who like slaves will receive from the Lord according to their deeds. And again, we notice here the Lord does not show partiality because he's just addressed the slaves and now he addresses masters. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. Are you a boss? Are you an employer? Are you in charge of people? Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. He says, knowing that you too have a master in heaven, being that slaves had no legal rights and that they were subject to the absolute power of their masters, As Aristotle said, slaves were living property. You can understand why the apostle would say what he does here. Masters could be harsh, and they could be threatening, treating uh, their slaves as less than image bearers, that they were simply tools to be used and cast aside. Masters, bosses, employers, you are to grant, that is to show, to exhibit, to offer on your part both justice and fairness to those underneath you. The word for justice is is that which is his due. How would you treat a slave? How should a slave be treated? He should be given food. He should be given care. He should be given provision. He should be given protection. In the case of employees, what has been agreed upon by, uh, by you contractually? You must fulfill those obligations. That is your responsibility. You, too, have a master in heaven. You are to be truthful. You are to be honest in your dealings with others. You mustn't withhold what he or she are entitled to. That is your job as masters. And he also says fairness, and that is dealing equitably, dealing dealing fair and square, an honest day's wage for an honest day's work, not taking advantage of those under you 
to advantage yourself and hurting them to their disadvantage. You see, and all of these things could be done. All of these things are done to this day. My boss hasn't paid me my wages. He hasn't done this. He doesn't do this. He doesn't honor the obligation. I'm supposed to get this. I'm supposed to get that. He's not, he's not feeding into these things. And when that happens, you go, well, this is wrong. You've entered into a contract. You masters need to do these things. That's what the Lord instructs. You are their master. You are their employer. How would you like to be treated? What does the Lord say? And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophet. And Paul reminds them that you know this. You, too, have a master in heaven. What do you hope for from your master in heaven? Who do you hope for? What do you hope for from the Lord? This is a good question to ask yourself. How would you want to be treated? Do you want him to deal harshly with you? to bring upon you his wrath, flames of fire. Is this what you would want? Or, friends, do you look to the Lord for his mercy, his kindness, and his benevolence? Crazy little thing. We had this cat, and the cat we had to put to sleep. Wonderful cat. It was my son's cat, and he was always very kind of rough with it. And so after he moved out of the house, I have this cat now, my wife and I, and this cat would come and sit next to me at my desk, and I'd scratch his head, and I'd pull his tail, and he'd purr, and he'd fall down, and I thought one Sunday morning, as I'm reviewing my notes, this cat is bothering me, but I'm scratching his head, and I'm pulling his tail, he's purring away, and I thought, this cat looks to me as its master. I am the representative, you'll not find this in a theology book, but I am the representative of God to this creature. And I thought, I'm going to treat this cat good. I always did treat him good. Um, he was a lazy cat, but he was, I, I treated him good. I did. Scratch his head, pet him, he'd purr. He was a wonderful creature. And I thought, it's my job as a master over these animals to take care of my animals. Silly illustration real lesson employers bosses masters it is your job you represent the lord to those underneath you how do you treat them with justice with equity you treat them with dignity and kindness do you look to be a blessing to them or do you just like to flex your muscle and make everyone shrivel underneath your power that's the difference between a Christian. Notice how Paul in Philemon uh, spoke to Philemon. I'm an apostle. I could lord it over you, but I'm not. Reading between the lines, it would be best, Philemon, if you just turned Onesimus loose so that he could serve. But I'm not going to mandate that. But you know the blessing you've received from the gospel. And so you should consider seeing the blessing you've received and extending that blessing to other people. You see how that works? This is what masters are supposed to do. 
And what keeps us all in check, friends, is that we're not looking to other people. Rather, we're looking to the Lord. And when I'm looking to the Lord, I don't feel quite like a slave anymore because I'm serving with gladness of heart. And when I'm looking to the Lord, I don't feel like abusing people underneath me. I feel like I want to bless them because I have been blessed by my Savior. It's a wonderful thing the Lord has established in work. This is how our faith affects our work in a fallen world, in a world full of difficulties, and it is how we adorn the gospel and advance the kingdom of our God and what would seem insignificant and trivial jobs, and yet, friends, they aren't. They aren't trivial and they aren't insignificant. Rather than always looking over the fence and saying, well, I want to do something great for God, how about just show up at work on time and be clean and be courteous and do it well. Do it well for the glory of God. That is a great way to exalt our Savior in our work. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, again for your word and pray that your grace would be upon us as we all struggle with these things. And again, Lord, we live in a world where work has become another four-letter word. And yet, it is such a blessing from you that we have it. And we pray, Father, we know we were designed for this in spite of the problems. We ask, Father, that we would have our eyes fixed upon our Savior sitting at your right hand and that we would serve him with all our heart because he is the one who has redeemed us by his own blood. Bless the work of our hands, I pray, that people would take notice of you and that they would rejoice in you. Thank you for this and for your word. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.